News Network. Election season, and the lies are flying. He's going to suspend election. He's going to put people in gas chambers. He's going to turn off the Internet. He's going to lock up his political opponents. Meanwhile, he is facing a possibility of spending the rest of his life in prison for things we've seen video evidence proving that FBI agents were the instigators of for political gain. And the press? Give me a break. So where do you turn to get the real story? You turn to TNN, the truth news network and dan newman just so happens i'm dan newman and it just so happens you've tuned in to tnn live where we have a lot of answers for a lot of your questions today good morning everybody welcome to wednesday edition of tnn live hump day in a big week the last week of february golly Where is this year going? We're almost finishing the first quarter of 2024. It just seems like it's just blistering bias. We can't even take time to figure out exactly what's going on. You know what? Some of that is accidental. Some of it is just circumstantial. But a whole lot of it is purposeful. And there are people out there that want us to be distracted so that we don't see some of the things that they're doing, that they're initiating, that they're fueling the fires of. They want to go so quietly by us that we don't even see what's going on until it's too late. Well, guess what? I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Trinity. Three or one, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he was born in a manger, and he is God's Son, and that later he was crucified and died for the forgiveness of our sins for perpetuity throughout time. And I believe God loves us and has a plan for every one of us. So instead of just spending all of our time doing the woe is me stuff, What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? I don't know what to do. Instead of living in that world, why don't we try living in this one for once? Just try it for a while and see if it works. Whisper a prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for me. Thank you for forgiveness of my sins. I need you to help me understand a lot of things. Many things going on I know are bad but I don't know what they're about and how they're going to impact me, so I get fearful. Help me, dear God, to overcome my fear and for me to look to you for all my answers. I'm going to trust you to do that. In your son's name I pray, amen. Try that. Just try that for one day. Go through an entire day. And every moment that you're automatically seeing and thinking about and fretting about something that you have no control over, but it's already come or it's on its way and you don't know how to handle it. Instead of concentrating on all of those things, when they come in your mind, immediately say, God, I can't do this, but you can do this. And I'm going to trust you to do it. Doesn't that sound a whole lot better than worrying about things we have no control over? So how do you do that? Well, 
You just get ready. says breakthrough is coming for you. (laughs) Isn't that a better thing to think about than fretting about what might happen? How are you going to handle what might happen? You don't have any idea what that might happen is going to look like or be. So why worry about it? Don't fret it. When it gets here, God's promised he's going to give us a way through it, whatever it takes, whatever it is. That's a great song. That was a great family. They are a great family. Forever Jones. That song was nominated for three Grammy Awards, two Stellar Awards, a Dove Award, and it won one of the Stellar Awards, this album of the year. I was a co-producer of that song. I know those people. They're really good friends. They write all their music. Now, sometime, go get the album. The name of the album is, you just heard the song title. It's the same, Get Ready. Go check it out on uh, Apple Music or whoever you get, wherever you get your music from, 
download that album. It is full of very positive statements and ideas and uplifting thoughts about how to handle the mess that we struggle with. Seems like every day. Just when we think we've got something figured out, bam, something else happens. (laughs) There's an old saying goes around South Louisiana. Well, you're going to live, but sometime after that, you're going to (laughs) die. So what does that mean? That's just facts. It's appointed unto every man to once die. We're all going by that way. And so what can we do to change it? Really, there's nothing. We just have to make the best of what we have on our plate each and every day. We do that, we're going to be okay. Doesn't mean the bad stuff's not going to show up. Doesn't mean you're not going to get bitten in the butt every once in a while by a dog you didn't expect. Those are circumstances of life. That's just part of living. What we must choose is how we're going to let those circumstances over which we have no control in many cases... Are we going to let them control us? Are we going to control them? I've been in both schools of thought. Didn't know I was in the first one, which was, woe is me. I didn't even realize that was something that I chose or allowed myself to get into. But when I figured that out and then got the enlightenment that I didn't need to be there, I was there only because I chose to let it happen. It just flipped the switch and I learned You know what? There's truth there. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I believe God's chosen word is the Bible. So if I say I believe that, and I really do believe it, why don't I live it and accept it for what it says and make my choices based upon what I say the Bible says? Ooh, You're not a preacher, Dan. No, I'm not. You don't have to be a preacher to serve God. You don't have to know everything about the Bible to serve God. But what you do have to do is personally turn to God and ask him to come into your life and help you live this mess, give you the answers and the roadmap to try to steer around some of these earthquakes that we're finding ourselves being right smack dab in the middle of every day or every week or every month. You can do that. Change is coming. But you know what? For change to get here and be complete, what has to happen? You have to make a choice to change what you can change that you know must be changed for the change that God has to kick in and finish the issue. Wow. So we do play a role in it, don't we? Well, how would you like to be in Washington, D.C. today? How would you like to be having the last name Biden and being the only living Joe Biden son, Hunter? And today you are going to appear before Congress under oath, and they're going to be talking to you about the details of your father's impeachment inquiry. That's exactly what's happening in just a few minutes in Washington, D.C. Hunter's a material witness in the impeachment inquiry into his dad. He previously refused to testify, or at least appear for an interview back in December. He claimed during a press conference 
that he would only testify under his own rules and would not comply with House investigators' lawful subpoena. Now, let me put that in the context of federal law. You don't tell the DOJ that. You don't tell Congress that. I'm going to come, only come when everything is, as I say, it's got to be, or I'm not coming. A subpoena from any law enforcement entity is a requirement for you to show up. And you don't have any say-so in what happens or how it happens. I guess maybe Hunter's figured that out now. So the House investigation previously had found a big web of wire transfers, 20 shell companies, associates who helped the Biden business rake in about at least $24 million from foreign nationals. That happened over the course of about five years. Through suspicious activity reports, those are called SARS, S-A-R-S, those are issued by banks anytime large amounts of money come from foreign entities into the United States. So through a bunch of those, I heard it was 150 plus. This House committee discovered in March that a Biden associate named Rob Walker received $3 million in a wire transfer from CEFC China Energy Corporation. And in turn, four Biden family members, four of them, individuals, Hunter, James, James is the younger brother of President Joe Biden, Hallie, which is a sister, and an unidentified Biden, each got a collective $1.3 million cut from that $3 million wire transfer. In May, Congressman Comer named nine Biden family members who got payments from the family foreign business ventures. They are Hunter Biden, James Biden, that's Joe's brother, Sarah Jones Biden, Joe's brother's wife, Hallie Biden, Bo Bowden, uh, Biden's widow, and Hunter Biden's ex-lover. Kathleen Booley, Hunter Biden's ex-wife. Melissa Cohen, Hunter Biden's current wife. Two children of Joe Biden's son, names are unknown, and Joe Biden's brother's child, names unknown. This House Oversight Judiciary and Ways and Means Committees, they've uncovered a record of evidence revealing Joe was the brand that his family sold to enrich the Biden family members. Joe Biden knew of, participated in, and benefited from these schemes. Joe attended dinners, spoke on speakerphones, showed up in meetings, had coffee with his son's foreign business associates. In fact, we've documented how Joe Biden has met with nearly all of his son's foreign business associates as they were collectively funneling millions directly to the Bidens through these shell corporations. Those committees have the opportunity to depose Hunter Biden, a key witness in the impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden, about this record of evidence. This deposition is not the conclusion of the impeachment inquiry. There are more subpoenas and witnesses and interviews to come. The committee said, we will continue to follow the facts to inform legislative reforms to federal ethics laws and determine whether the articles of impeachment are warranted. As for Joe, he has denied any involvement in Biden family business ventures at least nine different times on camera. 
but evidence suggests otherwise. Now, what evidence, Dan? There's no direct evidence that ties Joe Biden to the money. That's what we hear over and over again by his Democrat compadres that are circling their wagons around their president. Well, the evidence includes, but it's not limited to, pictures, text, audio recordings, IRS and former business partner whistleblower testimonies. One, Biden family suspicious activities reports. I told you, those about these wire transfers. Two, the Biden brand. The Biden brand is Joe Biden and Joe Biden's political influence. 20 Joe Biden phone calls on speakerphone. A mountain of text and emails. WhatsApp messages. Pictures of Joe with Hunter's business partners. Joe's voicemail to Hunter. Five individuals referencing Joe Biden as the big guy. Two whistleblowers sworn testimonies. Video of Joe Biden bragging about firing the Ukrainian prosecutor. Hunter's statement about giving half his income to his dad. Former White House aide saying FBI ignored Joe Biden's role in Ukraine business dealings. Millions flowing into Biden family bank accounts. Hunter paying for Joe Biden's expenses and email aliases. And there is a plethora of additional information and evidence that's going to be mentioned, discussed, and talked about in this hearing that's happening today. If I was Hunter Biden right now, I don't think I'd feel very comfortable Now, we're not through talking about this particular thing, but I just want to move to the side a second, a a little different angle. House Republicans have subpoenaed the Department of Justice yesterday for the transcript of President Joe Biden's interview with Special Counsel Robert Hur. Now, you know what that was all about. That was about the treasure trove of classified documents that Joe Biden just mysteriously had in his possession. 1,800 boxes of classified documents, not a single one of which Joe Biden had any legal right to have in his possession. Now, wait a minute. He's a president. Presidents have that right. Well, those 1,800 boxes of classified documents that were scattered around at four different locations, he had those in his possession way before he was even elected president. Well, he was eight years as vice president. No vice president has a classified document possession right. And he had, even during his approximate 50 years in the U.S. Senate, had classified documents in the thousands that came from his Senate career. So what is this all about? Why do they need to see that uh, interview by Special Counsel Robert Hur. Hur released that report on Biden's handling of those documents earlier in February. And in it, he detailed a five-hour interview with the president over the course of two days, October 8th and 9th. In the report, the special counsel made comments about Biden's declining mental state. In fact, the left, every Democrat went crazy because Hur mentioned that in his report. 
Her noted that he appeared, Joe appeared to forget when his vice presidency began and ended, as well as even the date of his late son Bo's death. House Judiciary and Oversight Committees notified Attorney General Merrick Garland of the subpoena yesterday in a letter obtained by the Daily Caller. The committees previously requested the DOJ provide the transcript by February 19th at 5 p.m. Well, guess what? They missed that deadline. The Oversight and Judiciary Committees in coordination with the Ways and Means Committee are investigating whether sufficient grounds exist to draft articles of impeachment against President Biden for consideration by the full House. That's in the letter. The committees further seek to understand whether the White House or President Biden's personal attorneys placed any limitations or scoping restrictions during the interviews with the special counsel, her, or Mr. Mark Zwanitzer, precluding or addressing any potential statements directly linking Joe Biden to troublesome foreign payments. Whether or not to release the transcript of that her interview has been the topic of much debate amongst Biden allies and opponents alike, of course. The White House said her's characterizations of Biden were gratuitous and unnecessary and disputed their accuracy. How the heck could they do that? They didn't have any ear in that interview that special counsel her had with Joe Biden. Critics responded by calling for the release of the transcript. That's the obvious way to clear it up, wouldn't you think? Claiming that doing so would prove the White House was correct. However, an attorney for Biden previously refused to say whether he supported releasing the transcript and recordings of the interview. That sends up a red flag to me. If a Biden attorney says, I don't know about wanting to release that, that pretty much tells you, There's a bunch of stuff in the interview that they don't want the American people to see or hear. The FBI previously uncovered documents relating to U.S. foreign policy in Afghanistan and handwritten notebook entries concerning sensitive national security matters at Biden's Wilmington, Delaware estate. You know, the one, and in the room, well, it wasn't a room, it was in the garage where he kept his Corvette. Unlocked, by the way. Special counsel Her cited the DOJ policy on prosecuting a president to justify his decision not to press charges against Joe Biden. So Biden did give a rare press conference following the release of the special counsel report, and he did so to dispel concerns about his age. But in doing so, he deflected blame onto his staff for the classified document scandal. And by the way, he also, in that conversation, mixed up the presidents of Egypt and Mexico. I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing, Biden said during the press conference. Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved were moved not by me, but my staff, but my staff, he continued. You know, I'm going to stop right there, and I'm just going to finish the story by telling you this. That exact thing proves to me how inept and how unethical Joe Biden is. There's not a human being on earth that doesn't 
understand the widespread documentation, the retention of documents, moving documents from one place to another. We understand that's a big deal and that no single person is going to be able to do that entire process alone. But the number one thing you learn when you become a manager, way before you get to be, let's say, the president of the United States, you got a lot of people working for you. And you don't want a single person to work for you. You want people to come to work with you. So it's a team effort. And for there to be a team effort, especially in the presidency, an entire administration, hundreds of thousands of people working directly with you, working together during this administration. If you're the manager, the number one, the big guy, as Joe Biden claims to be and has been named over and over again by witnesses in this impeachment inquiry, the first thing you know is you're always loyal to your staff, the people that you look to to accomplish the task that are necessary for you to be successful in whatever you're doing. And the last thing you do is throw them under the bus. But what did Joe do? The first thing he did was throw his staff under the bus. It's almost like when you were a kid, you forgot to do your homework, you get to class and the teacher's picking up last night's homework material and she comes to you, where's your homework? Teacher, when I went to get my books together this morning, my dog ate my report I was supposed to write. It may seem a little different and a little trite, but that's exactly what Joe Biden did to his staff. That tells you a lot about somebody, their integrity, or in this case, obviously, lack of integrity. Now, House Speaker Mike Johnson, he was in full all-ahead mode through the holiday. He didn't get to come home. He went to 20-something different states during that time off to meet with people about all of these things that are on the plates of the American people as we try to ramp up and get ready for a November election. Mike comes up next to tell you exactly what happened yesterday at the White House. Mike had a one-on-one with President Biden, and guess what they talked about? Mike went to talk about, we've got to do something about this debt limit expiration that's zooming up ahead. We may have a government shutdown. Mr. President, what do you have in mind? How are we going to stop this from happening? You're going to hear from Mike Johnson himself how that conversation went right after this. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT? Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. $3.99. Bingo! Time of participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. 
We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Once again, I want to thank all of you that uh, weathered the storms in your life and you choose to make TNN Live part of your life. Thanks for letting us ride along with you and kind of Every once in a while, nudge you a little bit, give you a little information, maybe answer a question or two that you had about something that you knew was really important, but you couldn't quite get your hands around it. I don't care who you are, how smart you are, how mature you are, how much information and knowledge you have swallowed and digested in that brain of yours. Every once in a while, we all get caught in a corner and we don't have the answer. We got to have some place to go get it. Some of you turn here just to get the input. And I want to thank you for doing that. Yesterday being Tuesday, every Tuesday for over a year, Steve Baker, our very own investigative reporter, he joins us in the second hour of our show and he brings us up to date on the latest stuff that his investigations have led him to and whatever the big topics of the week are. He's now part of Blaze Network, Glenn Beck's network, and that opened up a lot of doors to give him the resources necessary to even do more looking in on the very obvious bad things that are happening in this administration and our government. And as he's been doing that, you know this better than I do because you know if you're here, you know all about Steve Baker. He has been... um, I don't know, the fly in the ointment for the U.S. Department of Justice, the Capitol Police, the FBI, and it looks like now even the White House. There's big news breaking this morning about Steve Baker, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. You're going to want to hear the details. So uh, if you've got to do something, run and do it now. We're going to put that off for about 10 or 15 minutes, but we've got to get to it because a lot of people wondering what's going on. But I promise House Speaker Johnson went to meet with Mr. Biden yesterday at the White House facing a potential government shutdown once again. And of course, Congressman Johnson, a consummate negotiator 
and Joe Biden, who is a constant pontificator claiming to know everything, saying he knows everything that needs to be done, and he refuses to compromise. That's all setting the scale for what Johnson had to share when he walked back out of the White House. Listen for yourself. Here's Congressman Mike Johnson. Thank you. Thank you all for staying. We had a, um, a, a couple of meetings there. It was uh, frank and honest. I think we need more frank and honest conversations on Capitol Hill. So I was happy to participate in this. We did uh, that as a group. And then I had a uh, one-on-one for a period of time with the president, just he and I in the Oval Office. Uh, let me say this. When I showed up today, my purpose was to express what I believe is the obvious truth. And that is that we must take care of America's needs first. When you talk about America's needs, you have to talk first about our open border. I've been, I believe, in uh, maybe 20-something states over the last several weeks, going around the country, uh, appearing at events with my colleagues, and we're hearing from the American people of all parties and all persuasions and all cities and all states who feel this acutely. They understand the catastrophe at the border is affecting everyone, and it is top of mind for all the American people for that reason. So I brought that issue up repeatedly today in that room and and again one-on-one with the president. I think that's our responsibility uh, to bring that up. The other big priority for our country, of course, is the funding of our government. And we have been working in good faith around the clock every single day for months and and weeks and over the last several days, quite literally around the clock, to get that job done. We're very optimistic. I, I hope that the other leaders came out here and told you the same. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown. And that's our first uh, responsibility. Uh, You also heard, I'm sure, that there was um, discussion about the supplemental uh, spending package. And uh, I was very clear with the president and all those in the room that the House is actively uh, pursuing and uh, investigating all the various options on that. And we will address that in a timely manner. But again, the first priority of the country is our border and making sure it's secure. I, I believe the president can take executive authority right now today to change that. And I told him that again today in person, as I've said to him many times, publicly and privately over the last several weeks. It's time for action. It is a catastrophe, and it must stop. And we will get the government funded, and we'll keep working on that. So we'll have more for you. Gaggle of reporters trying to take over and get their question for the speaker heard. And, of course, he had to move on to other things. Something is becoming more and more obvious today not just with this administration or this Congress, but with the, the structure, what our government is all about. It's not functioning in the manner in which it is supposed to be functioning. And when I say supposed to be functioning, there's a roadmap, a very detailed roadmap that were given to our forefathers. They're the ones, in fact, that wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it again. And through the years, there have been 29 amendments to the original document that they had all got together after they had amended this and changed that. It is going to always require revisiting the sections of that roadmap, sometimes making changes, sometimes disagreeing on what needs to happen. Of course, I'm talking about the U.S. Constitution. You know that. And in that life cycle of the U.S. Constitution, politics shows up. Now, please understand, politics has nothing to do with the law. 
the law, the structure of the law is intrinsic in the United States Constitution. And then the law, the original process, was put together by the people's representatives, the United States Congress, over a period of years. How did they do that? They craft laws. Somebody thinks we ought to do this, make this a law. Okay, you present it to your fellow members of the House or the Senate, you discuss it, you talk about it even being necessary, and then you begin to build a template. In other words, something to start with to begin to think about other pieces that should or shouldn't go along with it. It's a long, arduous process. And it's purposely that way so that nobody can just walk in in one day and on a whim change something that changes the life of millions of Americans. But in these 240 years of this nation, politics, and especially one segment of our political system, has seized what they call their unilateral control of being able to dictate what can be done, what doesn't need to be done, what doesn't have to be done in following this rule of law that comes out of the Constitution and our legislative process, democracy. The only time you hear the word democracy when you're talking to a Democrat in politics today is when they want to accuse former President Trump of wanting to get back in office to destroy our democracy. There is absolutely no individual thing, no group of things that Donald Trump did or tried to do during his administration as president that went against the rule of law of the Constitution. I heard last night one Democrat just throw out the term autocratic, accusing Donald Trump of wanting to rule as an autocratic ruler. I think most of the people that were listening have no idea what that term means. I'll give you an explanation with an illustration. It's very simple. Look at what Joe Biden has done in the last year that didn't have anything to do with the United States Congress. Look at the money he spent. Look at the money he's given away. Look at the laws that he arbitrarily decided he wasn't going to have his administration enforce. Each of those things I just mentioned is in direct contravention of a a representative republic democracy, which is what our nation was founded to be. We're a democracy, but not a pure democracy because it's untenable. You can't do that with 330 million people in population. In a true democracy, every individual in the country has to vote on every individual thing. It can't be done. So our forefathers knew we were going to grow big and have a vast land that would cover. There would be no way we could get everybody together to handle all of the things of creating, changing, making moves, those kind of things in our laws. So they created a representative republic, which is we the people, all of the people that vote here, we choose those that will go to Washington, D.C. and represent us, the people, we the people, in this law-crafting operation called the United States government. 
every one of the things that Joe Biden has done that I just mentioned in passing, every one of those run in direct contravention to what democracy, our representative republic, is all about. But there is a term for what Joe Biden is doing today, and it's autocracy, which this Democrat was telling everybody, we can't let Donald Trump get back in the White House because he wants to rule as an autocratic fascist. They keep coming up with all kinds of names they can call him. And the the names we know, those raise the radars of American people. They know in large part what autocracy is. They don't want any autocratic leadership. They don't want any fascist in office. We want our democracy. Nobody is going to take our democracy away from us. Joe Biden already has. Joe Biden already has done it. And Democrats and their lapdogs in media, they're running cover. They're the ones that are going out there and continuing to trumpet those allegations about Trump when their own guy who's running for re-election, Joe Biden, is running this nation as an autocrat. What specifically you're talking about, Dan? I mean the United States Supreme Court. On Joe Biden's first go-around, I'm going to cancel all student debt. I'm going to do it. I went to Congress. They wouldn't do it. I'm just going to issue an executive order and do away with it. And he did it. Well, of course, it was challenged in federal court. They ruled against the White House. It was appealed. It went to an appeal court. They ruled against the White House. The White House appealed again. It went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And guess what? The U.S. Supreme Court sided against Joe Biden and told him, you, no president, has the authority to do anything like that with the people's money other than their representatives in the United States Congress. So in a democracy, what that means is, well, we tried to do it. They beat us down. We can't do it legally. We're just going to have to ride with what we got, the process that was put in place legally. Joe Biden didn't do that. He laughed about it. He laughed at the U.S. Supreme Court. And he came out with another one even after the Supreme Court told him he can't do it because it's unconstitutional. That, my friends, is an autocrat. But he wasn't through. While that was all going on, what did he do? He erased about five federal laws that he was part of crafting when he was in the United States Senate. What laws are you talking about, Dan? I'm talking about immigration laws, laws that state any human being that steps into the United States without an official request and permission slip from the United States government commits a crime when they step into the nation. And every person that suborns their stepping into the United States is committing a fine, breaking a law. That means any illegal that's here broke the law coming here. Anybody that assisted or made it okay for them to come here illegally is also committing a crime. By the the letter of the law, 
by the U.S. Constitution. Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, his Homeland Security Secretary, every person in Congress that is pro-illegal migration, they're suborning it, they're encouraging it, they're opening doors to make it happen and get as many people here as they possibly can. And every one of them are committing felonies every time they see one of these come across. It would all stop. It could all stop in one day. If Joe Biden said this, one thing, everyone in my administration as of today will begin to support and enforce every federal immigration law on the books. Every one of them. We're going to do that. If he would do that, it would stop this illegal immigration immediately. Then what would happen? People are screaming and hollering. We can't tolerate that. Our immigration laws are broken. The Republicans don't want to fix them. Well, here's how that process works. At the beginning of the segment, I told you, our forefathers put the Constitution together. They knew there were going to be things that needed to be added, so they created a provision to amend the Constitution. The process is simple. If there's a law in the books that you don't like, you meet, you discuss, the you being the representatives, our representatives in Congress, they meet, they hash it out, they talk about it, Should we change this? Well, I don't want to change that, but I want to change this over there. You find a way to get consensus. And guess what? Sometimes you're not going to get agreement on making change that you want made. And you can't get enough people to go along with you to make it. So you can't change it without having the process work in your favor. Guess what that means? Those people who disagree with you, they're representing other Americans that disagree with you too. And they represent the other people just like they represent you. And so these people that are screaming from the mountaintops, Republicans won't change our immigration laws. They're horrible. They're unfair. It's untenable. We can't do the things that we're supposed to do. No, you're not getting your way. It has nothing to do with the law. The law is there and in place. And when you can't get fellow members of Congress to agree with you, that means the people of the United States in a majority don't want those things changed. And that's the way it's supposed to be handled. And every president that has ever become president has put a hand on the Bible with the other in the air and pledged an oath to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution and the people of the United States and to enforce the laws in the Constitution and the rule of law as passed by the people's representatives, including Joe Biden. Every time one illegal crosses the border, that's a felony act on the part of Joe Biden. I know that's harsh, but if you don't like the laws, change them. And if you can't change them because the people's representatives, not enough of them agree with you to want it changed, that's the way the majority in the United States government crafting laws, that's the way it works. 
You've got to work legally within the system. We've got to be a nation of laws. Keep fighting if you want those laws changed. But you can't just scream and autocratically, like Joe Biden has been doing from the beginning of his presidency, change things that fit those who write you the big campaign checks. They're the ones that want these changes. So I've got the power. I'm just going to go ahead and change it and flip the American people the bird and say, you don't like it, you deal with it. I'm the president of the United States. I'm Joe Biden. And I'll see to it. Everybody does what I want. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. Raid shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, and finally, your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. <laughs> Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. I like the lyrics to this song. <laughs> hey, that's the Hey Hey song. It's called Rock and Roll Part 2. Anyway, I, I got a little animated talking about during that last segment, and I just cannot fathom. We're a nation that is maybe still number one, the best nation in all of American history. We're still number one, the most powerful nation in all of American history. But we're sure doing our darndest to change that. We are. We're forgetting about the rule of law. We're throwing caution to the wind. We're telling people and acting like it's okay if we, um, if we break the rule of law because, well, the people want us to do it this way. Well, if the people want us to do it this way, then we'll do it this way but they're the ones and their representatives are the ones that have to stand up and talk to us and tell us what that means and how to get it done. So for the next version, chapter of this, as we weigh in on comparison, because at that time of year, we've got an election coming up. I know November, it's still months away, but it's going to be here before you know it. We're in now into the heat of the primary election primary season. And we haven't seen anything very surprising. I think maybe if there are any surprises in the primary season so far, it's it's that the former UN ambassador, Nikki Haley, is still in the race. I don't understand it. I'm not even going to go into it. But there is no road for her to make it to win the Republican nomination for president. And I think I know why she's hanging in there. She's hanging in there hoping that one of these 
criminal cases that are pending against Donald Trump is going to be successful, and because it's successful, he will not be able to run for the presidency, and that by default, she would be the one left to represent the Republicans. God help us if that's the case, but I don't think it's even credible. All that being said, It's time for every American to objectively look at life in the United States and in our government, how things are happening now, all of the critical pieces, and we we all know what they are, our defense, our foreign policy, our economy, domestic issues, all those things have to be analyzed in a prism that we use to look at everybody that is in that process that is able to make changes and should be making changes or should be enforcing the status quo. And one of the biggest of all times, and the one that is always the most obvious when analyzing the success of somebody who's running for office now, who's been there before, you can look back and see how they did when they were there the first time, and then you can look at the way the person in office now is operating the government in each of those areas. One of the biggest is in our foreign policy. When I get hung up on something, I always find an expert to turn to for answers. And in this case, in many cases, Victor Davis Hansen is my go-to guy when it comes to breaking apart the different branches of our government, the different things that we do, and analyzing those things how they're being handled right now by whoever's in office, in this case, in the presidency, it's Joe Biden, and then look at how his predecessor handled the same issues, and in this case, would be Donald Trump. You want to hear some voices of reason? Listen to this. How do we make sense of American desire to disengage, at least in, and where President Trump and the Republicans fit into that. If you take the four years of Donald Trump and you take the three years of Joe Biden and you ask yourself just a a number of basic questions, did NATO rearm more efficiently under Trump or under Biden? Did Putin go in under Trump or Biden? Did China talk about taking Taiwan more under Biden? or Trump? Did China feel free to surveil the United States with balloons under Trump or Biden? Did Hamas attack under Biden or Trump? And go down the list. Did we end Afghanistan nobly under Trump or ignobly under Biden? And then ask yourself, so was the world more deterred? It doesn't really matter whether America fights wars or not. In fact, often when you fight some wars, it it, as you know well, it, it destroys deterrence because you lose them as we happened in Afghanistan. Being in Afghanistan and the way we got out destroyed deterrence. So the question is, if you look at what Donald Trump did, was he an isolationist? Did he say, okay, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Mr. Kim Jong-un, is Australia, he's your problem. He's not our problem. No, he didn't. Did he say to the Middle East, ISIS came out, I don't know, maybe we caused it, I don't care, but I'm not getting involved. No, he said, I'll bomb this, and he did. And he took off every, almost everything off the target 
restriction list that had existed under Obama. Obama, Obama said they were JVs, no problem. He got them. And then for 10 years, we've told we've been told that Qasem Soleimani was the catalyst for Iranian terror, but he was untouchable. He was untouchable for two reasons. The Europeans said he was sacrosanct and he never knew where he was. Trump killed him and he just killed him. And I could go on. And they said the Wagner, you cannot attack the Wagner group because the Wagner group is an extension. It's sort of uh, Putin's Praetorian Guard. And they told Trump, these people are provoking us in Syria. And he said, kill them. We killed 200 Russians. No one talks about that and wiped them out in Syria. So he was Jacksonian. And I don't know how you how one would characterize that, but his attitude was not necessarily preemptive. He just said, these are the problems that face the Western world. And when they get to a point that they're pressing us on deterrence, I'm going to remind them that what they're doing is stupid. And it worked. And it's not me saying this. Again, I get back to that saying of Jack, uh, Jake Sullivan when he said, there's nothing going on in the Middle East. It's boring. It's calm. It was, uh, you know. Mm. Yeah. But, but And then they inherited it. And, you know, if you take the Houthis off the terrorist list and you give Iran, Iran about an $80 billion blank check of new oil revenues and you beg them to get in the Iran deal and you try to pressure Hezbollah to give up, uh, Israel to give up oil rights and gas rights uh, to Hezbollah in Lebanon, and then you get out of Afghanistan the way you did, and then you tell Putin that if he's going to hack, keep off the hospitals, then you you've destroyed deterrence. And I don't know how that fits into the traditional activist isolationist, but Trump is not an isolationist. He's a punitive Jacksonian. And he feels that from every now and then somebody has to be taken on for the benefit of the United States and the Western world. And he gets angry when people criticize him. Yes, he gets angry when the alliance, he's very angry at the alliance of NATO because he feels that there's 450 million people in Europe. They have a larger, NATO and EU together have a larger GDP than we do. If you put them both together, and yet they will not spend 2% of their GDP on arms. And they expect the United States to contribute 70% of their defense needs. And if you question that, then you're an isolationist. So what that does to him is then he gets into his Trump annex. You know, I told him, I hope you, you know, Russia does that. But if you just cut out the rhetoric and you look what he actually did, uh, Putin did not threaten Europe during his tenure. And they did spend a lot more in defense. And that came in very handy, uh, very handy when Ukraine uh, came up because some of the Europeans were able to help Ukraine with supplies that they wouldn't have other had. Otherwise, had they not started to ramp up. So I, I don't think he's an isolationist. He's a Jacksonian nationalist. But I think he's a nationalist that even supersedes his American interest. Now, if you think that stuff through, you're looking at factual information with which you can make some clear, very sane choices about things. Nobody credibly at all could look at what Donald Trump did in his four years. Look at the different areas. We talked about economics, uh, foreign policy, military, 
are standing on the world stage. If you look at each of those individually, there's a very obvious comparison between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And if you look at it objectively, no credible person can in any one of those areas somehow cobble up an explanation that shows Joe Biden's doing a better job than Donald Trump did. In fact, the comparisons are so stark, it's ludicrous to even maintain that is a remote possibility. And you know what the difference is, the thing that matters? And the left hates to hear somebody say this. (laughs) The difference is being a manager. Donald Trump grew up a manager. His dad taught him in the Queens, New York, about the New York Manhattan construction business, commercial real estate. And Donald Trump knew how to talk to people. He knew how to communicate with people, everybody. He didn't treat people the same way. You can't do that and expect to get good results. People have to be able to believe in you and let you manage them or it will never work. And people are not stupid. All of us have an understanding, a basic understanding of right and wrong, not just for ourselves, but for our society, the one in which we live in, the one in which we work. And we know by watching and listening, we know who's in it in the right manner for the right purposes because they're doing the right things. Let's just look at one little thing that they mentioned, David Victor Davis Hanson mentioned in there, the pullout of Afghanistan. Donald Trump had an exit plan to leave from Afghanistan. It was published before the transition took place. We had at TNN Live, we had a copy of the Trump plan for us to withdraw from Afghanistan. The first thing on it was we would remove all of our military hardware and supplies from Bagram Air Base. Now, most people don't realize Bagram was one of our largest air bases on the planet, and it was the closest military presence we had to China, our arch enemy. We were already over there. We had billions of dollars of military hardware there. There was a full-blown federal prison on the grounds of Bagram Air Base. In Trump's plan, all of our military equipment would be removed before we withdrew, before our military withdrew. We would move all those prisoners, reposition them at federal prisons around the the world, different places. And we would carefully move over a period of time. Joe Biden got handed that. They later lied about it. Secretary Blinken said, I've never seen it. Of course, what he was saying was, I didn't see it, but what he meant was, I had no idea and didn't care about it, didn't look for it. They didn't hand it to me and slap me in the face with it, but it was there. And so look at what happened. At the very beginning of the Biden administration, his foreign policy, first act, 
pull out of Afghanistan, the coup de grace from this entire thing were those 12 brave Americans that were blown up by a suicide bomber at the airport at that one gate in and out of the airport. They were blown up. 65 Afghanis were killed along with those 12 Americans. And to show exactly how sad and how poor a military leader Joe Biden is, guess what we found out? The C-4 that was used in that suicide vest, it came from our cache of C-4 on Bagram Air Base, which we walked away from and gave to Afghanistan, those terrorists, they used that to create a suicide vest that that person wore that killed our 12 people. If that doesn't illustrate the insanity of the Joe Biden foreign policy, I don't know what else, what else is, but there's, there's even a, a thing on top of that that tops that. The person that wore that suicide vest and killed those 12, was one of those prisoners, federal prisoners. This was an international terrorist that was in the prison at Bagram Air Base. Joe gave them the keys. They took all the equipment. They took all the C-4. We gave them all kinds of hardware. We gave them helicopters, jets, airplanes, guns, tanks, and a bunch of C-4. And they quickly used it against us. We could go on and on with explanation after explanation about that, but we're not going to. We need to realize the reality is a leader can be called a leader by the people he or she leads and how they do it. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon, a leftist media so far, so, so-called expert, to explain to us what a real leader is. We recognize it when we see us. Let me give you one example and we'll move on. Donald Trump, we learned overnight, is leading Joe Biden in seven out of seven swing states in this election. Survey looked at the potential and an increasingly likely matchup between Trump and Biden in these states. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, and North Carolina. The polls found Trump leading Biden in every one of those states. In a head-to-head matchup, Trump leads Biden by three points in Wisconsin, two points in Pennsylvania, six points in Nevada, two points in Michigan, six in Georgia, three in Arizona, and three in North Carolina. By the way, Biden won all those in the 2020 election, or so we're told. The Emerson Hill poll of Trump versus Biden versus RFK Jr. versus West and Stein matchup in swing states. Nevada, Trump up 10. North Carolina, Trump up 9. In Georgia, Trump up 9. Arizona, Trump up 6. Pennsylvania, Trump up 5. Wisconsin, Trump up 4. In Michigan, Trump up 3. In Nevada, Trump's up 10 points over Joe Biden. 
Now, we're nowhere near being able to call an election. Nobody here could even think that would be a remote pause. It'd be stupid to do right now. There's a lot of time, a lot of political time when you keep it in political time between now and November. A lot of moving parts, a lot of things are going to happen. But what is happening now is scaring every Democrat on the planet to death. The American people have awakened. African-American community, Hispanic community. I'm talking about real people, voters. They're scared to death at another four years of Joe Biden. They can't take his policies. And the left have no idea what to do. We're in for a rough ride between now and November. I promise you it's not going to be pleasant. After this break, when we come back, I told you there's big news about Steve Baker coming from Blaze Media. I've got that for you right after this. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni, you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring 649 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just 649. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus. of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. Nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. No identity politics, no political elitism. Read and hear the truth, always sourced from facts. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. As you know, everybody that is part of this family knows who Steve Baker is. He's been on this show for over a year, at least every Tuesday. In fact, he and I 
We talk about the specifics of things going on in Washington, D.C. that he has been investigating himself. And then he joined Blaze Media, Glenn Beck's network over in Dallas, and they just kind of made it even smoother going, gave him a lot of freedom to do even deeper investigations that have under, under they've upended and shown a lot of additional wrongdoing being exposed up in Washington, D.C. by our members of our government. So I got a text from Steve yesterday evening late, 15 minutes later, I got a quick email from the Blaze News Network with a story, and I'm just going to read you the story. Actually, right at midnight last night, I copied and pasted the Blaze News Network story at our homepage, truthnewsnet.org. You can go grab it and read it there. Here we go. Blaze News investigative writer Steve Baker says FBI wants him to self-surrender Friday in Dallas over his January 6th reporting. Blaze News investigator journalist Steve Baker said the FBI wants him to self-surrender to the agency Friday morning in Dallas and is doing so over his January 6th reporting. He added that after he's taken to the Dallas courthouse, he'll appear at 10 a.m. in a hearing before a federal magistrate. They didn't have to go this route, Baker said. We have been told that my charges are only going to be misdemeanors. My attorneys have been assured that this will be an in-and-out affair with no intention to detain me. But rather than issuing a simple order to appear, they went to the arrest warrant route. What's more, Baker said he still does not know what the charges against him are, noting to Blaze News that the powers that be won't tell his attorneys about the charges because they believe Baker is going to post them on social media and it would come here first. Baker's Dallas attorney, a really good guy. By the way, he's got six of the top federal prosecutor, former federal prosecutor attorneys are representing him pro bono. They're foaming at the mouth to get this case and to try it in the public. This guy's name in Dallas is James Lee Bright. Added to Blaze News that withholding the nature of the charges against his client is really an unusual move. Bright also said he's hoping to get a copy of the complaint against Baker's early as Friday morning. Baker also said his legal team was told there was no request to the court for detention, no need for bail, and the expectation is that he'll be released after the proceedings. Bright told Blaze News that he anticipates Friday's hearing to be really simple. We don't know if there will be pretrial travel restrictions, although that has been the norm for J6 defendants, even for misdemeanor defendants, Baker said. It's also been universal that no J6ers are allowed to travel to Washington, D.C., which for obvious reasons will have a deterioris impact on my work. We also do not know if there will be any other accompanying restrictions or orders, gag order from talking about my case, no social media, limited social media, order to surrender devices and or firearms, all are unknowns. Bright told Blaze News that he's really disturbed about what's transpiring with his client, 
especially given that Baker's been in full compliance all these time. This has been happening over two and a half years. Two and a half years ago, the Department of Justice notified Steve's attorneys they were about to arrest him. And then later they came back and said, yep, we're about to do it again. And one more time. Wright also said the federal government three plus years later going after people who were legitimate functioning journalists that day appears designed to have an absolute chilling effect. Steve said this, I'm not a depressive person, but I'm not happy about this. I have prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but apparently it's not going to. However, he also said it will be a relief to get the first step over with. Baker added that when he asked his other attorney, William Shipley, why the feds are treating him like this, Shipley replied, you know why. You've been poking them in the eye for three years now. Blaze Media Editor-in-Chief Matt Peterson couldn't agree more. He said in a Tuesday evening statement that the federal government's treatment of Steve Baker is outrageous. He's had unknown charges hanging over his heads for years, but after we started working with him, the government sprang back into action. There's no need to put him in a jumpsuit or handcuffs except as a humiliation ritual or a show, which seems to be exactly what they're planning to do on Friday. We will be showing the world footage from January 6th that shows Steve was clearly present that day as an independent journalist. Government retaliation such as this against journalists contradicts the very idea of a free press, the purpose of our form of government, and what once was the American way of life, Peterson also noted, adding that this should not be happening in America. Remember this. Let's go back a little bit. Baker announced, and he did right here on this show, in December that the FBI said the U.S. Department of Justice would be charging him for his January 6th reporting. But two days later, he noted that the FBI said his self-surrender had been postponed until after Christmas. And it's been a waiting game ever since. There's an interview posted on this order, uh, this story that you can read right now at truthnewsnet.org. This interview is uh, with Blaze TV's Sarah Gonzalez. She conducted this interview with Steve. You need to you need to watch it. It's a good interview. Let's continue. Last month, attorneys representing Baker told Blaze News the U.S. DOJ may be orchestrating a retaliation against Baker over his January 6th reporting. Steve's actions that day have been known to the Department of Justice for three years, Baker's attorney said in a January news release, but it's only now, after Steve has broken two major stories greatly embarrassing the DOJ, that he is possibly being targeted for arrest and possibly felony prosecution. Any action taken to put him in handcuffs, hold him in custody, have him transported to court by federal law enforcement will be nothing other than retaliation for his recent reporting. Baker discussed his legal saga in a pair of October commentary pieces for Blaze News, and there are links to those both on this show, on this story. They detail the ins and outs of the federal investigation he's been under following his independent journalistic work 
on January 6th, which began before he joined Blaze News. So what has he uncovered? Baker's first January 6th analysis for Blaze News came last October, following countless hours in a House subcommittee office looking at frame after frame of January 6th closed-circuit video. And it had him wondering, did Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial? Well, I'll just jump the gun and answer that question for you. Yeah, he proved that. David Lazarus testified and put several Oath Keepers behind bars and the stuff he testified was proven to be lies. Soon after the slow pace of getting an unrestricted look at everything recorded on video prompted Blaze Media Editor-in-Chief Matthew Peterson's appeal to the House Speaker Mike Johnson to release all the videos. On November 17th, Johnson did just that. And just so you know, this journalist, me, I hooked Mike Johnson to Steve Baker Baker was looking to get quickly in touch with Mike Johnson. I call Mike. Mike was actually in the air flying from D.C. somewhere else, and he immediately calls Steve. They had a long conversation while he was in the air. Baker's investigative efforts also resulted in two additional analyses, both focusing on Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn, January 6th, and the N-word that wasn't, and Harry Dunn's account of January 6th does not add up at all. In December, Baker alleged the uncovered major irregularities involving Dunn, Capitol Police, the press, and U.S. Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, who Steve Baker caught in a bullface lie publicly and in testimony. You think Raskin's gotten in trouble for lying under oath? Steve's in trouble, and he's not even been under oath. In January, Baker asserted the just-released U.S. Capitol closed-circuit TV video clips from J6 show Lazarus giving false testimony in the Oath Keepers trials. Also in January, Baker and others were asking what the U.S. government has to hide in regard to the pipe bomb it was found on January 6th at the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Baker followed up on that in February with another analysis titled Capitol Police Diverted All CCTV Cameras Away from the DNC Pipe Bomb Investigation Except One Camera. They forgot about it. And guess who has that video? I've seen that video. <laughs> and you know what it proves? The FBI knew those bombs were not real. They planted those two bombs, and they show the video shows them trying to blow up the so-called bombs. They were nothing. And finally, with this, the Department of Justice has said, we've had enough, basically telling FBI, go take this guy down. Just like last week, Baker penned his latest analysis asking why Kamala Harris was at the DNC and not at the Capitol on January 6th. Now, why would she even be there? 
What were they at the Capitol, everybody at the Capitol for on January 6th? It was a change of administrations, right? Not just at the White House, but every member of the U.S. House of Representatives and many senators were changed. They were going there to be sworn in and all that kind of stuff. Well, what does that mean with Kamala? She was, a, she was a U.S. senator. She was already there. No, 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 no. She'd been elected. Vice president. Vice president, existing vice president, is the president of the U.S. Senate. She was the one that was supposed to chair that committee hearing when they were there to confirm those things. So many, so many obvious things that prove how much corruption there has been and continues to be in the Biden administration. Honestly, I'm not even sure we'll ever know all of it. I hate to say that. I hate to say that. I, you, you guys know me, and you know I have a very close friendship with Congressman Mike Johnson. And I tried my best to warn him to be prepared when he took the, the gavel and he was sworn in to be Speaker of the House, replacing Kevin McCarthy. And in that phone call, I want to mention this and we're going to quit. That phone call that Mike, when he called Steve, and Steve was complaining to the House Speaker because there were several members of the House of Representatives, Republic members of the House of Representatives, that were involved in leadership in several of these committees that are doing these investigations, J6 and otherwise. And they were refusing to give him the permission to go public with some of these videos. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, these are Republicans. These are people that all swore an oath of office to do everything they could possibly do to make sure our government was functioning and that anybody that was doing anything and everything illegal exposed, they were there to make sure it happened. And all of a sudden, they just slammed the door on Steve Baker. Now, he had seen the videos. I've seen several of them myself. But there's a difference in seeing a video and getting the legal permission to publish that as part of a story. So Mike Johnson, and I'm going to finish with this. And listen closely to what I'm saying. I'm being careful how I phrase this because I've been unable to get Mike on the phone the last couple of weeks. And it's because he is so much under the gun. I found out over the weekend, this past weekend, he's much more under the gun than I thought he was. There are 1,873, I believe that is the exact number, of the closed camera of that network around the Capitol, 1,873 of them. Mike Johnson made a big deal of telling Steve, I'm the person that has sole authority to demand and see to it that any of this video is released. I am the boss. Nobody above me has any say-so. And I've made it clear, release all of that video. That was six weeks ago. 
1,873 cameras. Do you know how many of those cameras, videos, 1,873, how many of them have been released? Eight. And the questions are very obvious. Why? Mike Johnson's the Speaker of the House. He's the one that has that sole authority. He made it very clear and said he had already ordered it all to be released, to be published. And some of it was. Steve Baker got the majority of the releases, and they were astronomically exposing of the corruption in the Capitol Police. Um, Jamie Raskin, his office. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at the time. Her office. Late yesterday, Steve asked me a question. And he said, Dan, what's the most corrupt branch of the federal government? What do you think? And of course, my mind immediately went to the obvious. And I said, the Department of Justice and all the three-letter agencies that are part of the DOJ. And he got real quiet. And he said, no, it's the Capitol Police. And I said, why is that? Why are they so powerful? How are they so powerful? He said, everything that happens in the Capitol among all of the people that work there, come through there, politicians, testimonies, people testifying before committees and before Congress, everybody in the political system, they come through the Capitol Police. And the Capitol Police, this is what he said, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but this was the essence of what he said. Capitol Police have an internal mafia And they have unbelievable records on everyone that ever steps foot on Capitol grounds. And especially on members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Now, if you put that in the context of what we're seeing, hearing now, what Steve Baker is facing on Friday. How much dirt do they have on people that you know? Why would Mike Johnson, who made such a big deal out of making sure me, Steve Baker, and everyone else knew he had total access, he did, of what happened to the video from every one of those 1,873 cameras? And he told us they were released. And yet, as of today, only eight have. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express. 
a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. tough it is for me sometimes to not just go stinking postal (laughs) when I'm talking about some of these things that we learn. I know, I know governments are corrupt. There are far more people that are corrupt in the government of the United States, probably every other country on the planet than uh, their people, their constituents can imagine. But one would think that the one thing, the very one number one thing they wouldn't mess with would be making sure they do the right stuff and that they're honest and they're clear on everything they do and say because every moment of their lives is being covered by somebody. Think about 1,873 cameras. (laughs) I'm talking about high-definition moving cameras on Capitol Hill that see and document everything. I just happened to get a text just then from Mike Johnson. I'll wait till the show is over. (laughs) I hope he's not listening today. But even if he is, I'd like for him to give us an answer to some of the questions that I've asked, things that are pending right now. You just look at the craziness that's going on in this administration. Look at what happened already and what's pending over in Fulton County, Georgia. This big trial, once again, the orange man, they're doing anything and everything they can to try to keep him from the White House. He'll destroy our democracy, which they're already trying to do their darndest to destroy. A Fulton County judge ruled day before yesterday, the former law partner of Nathan Wade, has got to testify about Wade's relationship with Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis. Now, this is coming from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee ordered Terrence Bradley to testify about the relationship between Wade and Willis. Bradley, who also served as Wade's divorce lawyer, met with McAfee in a closed-door hearing after which McAfee determined that some of Wade's communication with Bradley were not protected by attorney-client privilege. That came despite Bradley's assertions during a previous court appearance. Attorneys from Michael Roman, who's a former Trump campaign aide, filed a motion for Willis's disqualification on January 8th and in that, alleged that Willis, who hired Wade as a special prosecutor, supposedly to help probe and prosecute the former president, was in a romantic relationship with Fonny or Fanny Wade, however you want to say it. Willis and Wade testified during a hearing already to gather evidence to determine if Willis should be disqualified February 15th and February 16th. Robin Yurdy, a former friend of Willis, testified that her relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade began back in 2019, not 2022. 
While Wade admitted he had no receipts to prove that Willis gave him any reimbursement for expensive trips the two of them took together to locations including, you know, workplaces like the Bahamas and Belize. (laughs) Willis secured an indictment against Trump and other defendants, including Roman in August, over the former president's quote-unquote efforts to contest the results of the 2020 election in Georgia, which Joe Biden won by less than 12,000 votes. Wade received over $650,000 in taxpayer fees for his work on the case. Willis admitted to a relationship with Wade, and that came in a 176-page court filing on February 2nd in response to motions seeking her disqualification from this case. Roman's attorneys responded in a 122-page filing that they submitted February 9th that witnesses could contradict denials by Willis that her relationship with Wade began after she hired him as a special prosecutor. I mean, this is like a court, a marriage divorce court. Who said, she said, he said, who lied, he did, she did. And we're talking about a pretty critical prosecution in the hanging, that being of the former president of the United States. But there is more. Nathan Wade's divorce lawyer, Terrence Bradley, he tied himself in knots on the stand yesterday. He said, I can't recall at least 10 times and said he was speculating when he claimed in a bombshell text message that he started dating Fonnie Willis before she hired him. Bradley insisted he couldn't remember when his client and law partner started his romantic relationship with Willis I came during a grilling in the hearing that could see the Fulton County DA thrown off the Donald Trump case. Star witness and Wade's former law partner was evasive when he took to the stand. He was asked multiple times if Wade and Willis began their romantic relationship before he was hired to prosecute the former president. He admitted that he said Willis and Wade started dating in 2019 in a text to Ashley Merchant, the lawyer for the Trump co-defendant, behind the bid to have Willis disqualified from the Georgia election fraud case. But here comes a U-turn. In his U-turn, he insisted he was only speculating, insisted under oath that he didn't know the date of when their romantic connection began. His dramatic appearance followed bombshell revelations that Wade visited D.A. Fannie Willis's Georgia neighborhood at least 35 times and stayed overnight before she hired him on the Trump investigation team. Willis and Wade have stuck by their story that they started their romantic connection in 2022 after he was tapped for the team looking into Trump's bid to overturn the election in Georgia. But testimony throughout the hearing and recent revelations have poked multiple holes in their claims. You know the biggest problem of being a liar? If you're a liar, if you are, let's just see, like Adam Schiff, 
Congressman Adam Schiff, he's what is known as a pathological liar. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of an excuse it's okay to lie. Why? Because biologically, pathologically, you're going to lie. It's in your DNA, the way your mind works. And it's a <laughs> it's not a choice thing. When your lips move, you're probably going to be lying. Maybe this is the case there, but do you understand how serious this one thing is? They haven't even gotten yet to the fact that both Fanny and this prosecutor she hired that was sleeping with her at the same time. Maybe she was sleeping with I don't know how that works. But they were together romantically. Now, remember, she is a state district attorney. A state district attorney. This trial was not, will never be in the federal court system. This is a state thing. Now, in the context of what I'm about to tell you, this is kind of crazy. She and he both, on two occasions, before anything was filed against President Trump, no indictment whatsoever, before that happened, she's a state district attorney. He's been appointed a special prosecutor for a state case two different times. They flew to Washington, D.C., and they went and met with legal people in the Biden administration. Now, wait a minute. They're both working for the state of Georgia. This is not a federal case. This is a state of Georgia case. Why would they need to go to discuss things about this trial to the White House twice? You figure that out. You're, you're a genius. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Something ain't right there. You know what we say down south, when it quacks and waddles, you can look hard, you can come up with all kind of thoughts, but at the end of the day, it's most likely quacks, waddles, it's a duck. That's the kind of crap that keeps cropping up in all of these attacks against Donald Trump. And it just, it, it enrages people on the left because they're so accustomed to using the process of lying. It's to their benefits. They perfected this. This is how you do it. This is what you say. This is how you say it. Here are the things that you don't do. I started this paragraph of this conversation by saying, do you know what the hardest thing about being a pathological liar is? You got to remember what you told each and every person the last time you lied to them. You got to remember what you told them because you're a pathological liar. You're probably going to lie again, but you don't want to lose all of your credibility. Think about having to live that life. And we're not talking about people that just have one or two little things going on in their professional lives. I mean, look at Adam Schiff. He lies every time his lips move. And they're back. He and his compadre, I can't think of his name, the guy that was with the Chinese spy, what's his, what's his name? He's a congressman from California also. They're already out there saying they have factual evidence that P. 
Putin is helping Donald Trump in this election. Remember, those are the guys that from the very beginning they had hard factual evidence in hand, multiple different types of factual evidence in hand that the Trump administration, before it was the Trump administration, when it was still the Trump campaign, was colluding with Russia, with Vladimir Putin. He was helping them to beat Hillary Clinton. Never would bring any of that, but they would go on every television show every weekend, all the big talk shows on Sunday. They were out there parading that, oh, don't worry about it. We've caught him. We've got him red-handed. Nothing ever happened because there wasn't anything there. Some other things we need to get to before we leave the show today. And thank you so much for being here. This has been a special show. It's been a tough one for me. Steve Baker is like my little brother. For those of you that hear him here on the show or know anything about him and and me. We're friends. We're from the same cloth. We're both in the same business. We're both from Shreveport. So it's really been tough. And we're, I told him this last night, the last time we spoke, I said, buddy, whatever it takes, wherever this takes you, it takes me. We're in this to the end with you. We refuse to be intimidated by the people that so supposedly work for us, not the other way around. So this has been hard. But put that in the context of this next story. Grim details have come out relating to the Venezuelan illegal immigrant who murdered Lakin Riley, a 22-year-old nursing student at the University of Georgia. A February 23rd new affidavit states that Jose Antonio Ibarra caused bodily harm by seriously disfiguring her body and skull with an inanimate object. Ibarra is charged with felony and malice murder, kidnapping, false imprisonment, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and concealing the death of another. The affidavit accuses Ibarra of dragging the victim to a secluded area and using an object that caused blunt force trauma to her head. The object used to kill Riley has yet to be disclosed, but we're told they have it in their possession. A concerned friend of Riley's told UGA police she did not return to the room after she left for an early morning run on Tuesday. During a search, University of Georgia police found Riley's corpse with visible injuries in the woods behind Lake Herrick at around 12.38 p.m. Medical personnel pronounced her dead upon arrival. The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, that's ICE, confirmed Ibarra's illegal status in a press release Sunday. The agency said he'd been arrested on September 8th of 2022 by Customs and Border Protection after he unlawfully entered the U.S. authorities, later releasing him on parole for further processing until a second arrest for acting in a manner to injure a child less than 17 years old in New York City. 
NYPD officials released Ibarra before a detainer could be issued. That's coming from ICE. You know, sanctuary cities, they let everybody go. Oh, you just come on in here. We're going to take care of everything. You can do whatever you want. We'll help you. We'll cover your tracks. You don't have to worry about that. Just come on down. Ibarra had also been cited for shoplifting in athens Clark County on October 27th of 2023, had one outstanding bench warrant for failing to appear in court over his previous charges. Former President Trump condemned the radical Democrats for releasing Ibarra after assaulting a child in New York, vowed to seal the border if he's re-elected president. Crooked Joe Biden's border invasion is destroying our country, killing our citizens, Trump wrote on True Social on Monday. The horrible murder of 22-year-old Lakin Riley at the University of Georgia should have never happened. The monster who took her life illegally came here in 2022 and then was released again by Democrats in New York City after he injured a child there. Trump said, when I'm your president again, we will immediately seal the border, stop the invasion, and on day one, we will begin the largest deportation operation of illegal criminals in American history. May God bless Lake and Riley and her family. Our prayers are with you. GOP Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, he demanded a response surrounding the immigration status of Ibarra in a letter he wrote to Joe Biden. Lake and Riley's tragic death struck the hearts of Georgians everywhere, has sparked national outrage, Kemp said. Joe Biden's failed policies have turned every state into a border state. I'm demanding information from him so we can protect our people when the federal government won't do that. Of course, the White House offered their deepest condolences to Riley in a statement following the news of her tragic death. We would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Lakin Hope Riley, a White House spokesperson said. People should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. They are found to be guilty. Given this is an active case, we would have to refer you to state law enforcement, and to ICE. That's always the cop-out. You know, we can't comment any further. So how do you think, how do you feel about all this negative news that comes out in waves now every day? We don't even have a, used to, you could plan on having a peaceful weekend so you could get away from it all. But I mean, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It just keeps coming at us. And the media now, the media, mainstream media, those people that are so much superior to you and I, they're the ones that know everything. All of a sudden, they're finding out the world they live in is the same world that you and I live in. For years, the legacy media has tried to strangle every competitor in the crib to the big mega outlets like CNN and the New York Times, whose credibility, by the way, is running on the fumes of their once vaunted names, there's nothing worse than competition. 
Conservatives hear most about our own upstart media companies coming under attack from the corporate media with endless hit pieces. They try to undermine our legitimacy and all but beg government censors to shut us down. So we hear at places like TNN Live, truthnewsnet.org, we're no strangers to these tactics and must always be ready if we're going to keep on bringing you the news that we do. But our digital media competitors, often even more laughably liberal than the legacy press, were perhaps an even bigger threat to the major outlets' bottom lines. For better or worse, left-wing nuthouses like Vice Media and BuzzFeed, they changed the way the news is distributed and monetized. And don't forget, it's all about money. All this while peeling away the ideologically aligned consumers of the legacy, the big media guys. The hysterical embrace of Russiagate, obsessions with race and racism, the overall descent from bias to hyper-partisanship, it all can in part be explained by the legacy media's desperate attempts to stay relevant And by the way, by staying relevant, staying solvent in the rapidly changing media ecosystem. Who needs to subscribe to the Times or pay for cable when you can get all the news you need right on your Facebook feed? So without likes, Vice and BuzzFeed all but collapsing into oblivion the last few months, It's not surprising that CNN took a victory lap. The digital media revolution is over, they declared on Friday. This comes in the wake of Vice's unanticipated announcement on Thursday. It would be laying off hundreds of staffers who reportedly only found out about the move a few hours before they were fired. After being acquired by a private equity firm, the company announced the current business model is no longer cost-effective and that it would look to partner with established media companies to distribute our digital content, including news on their global platforms, as we fully transition to a studio model. For its part in all this, BuzzFeed. I don't know if you ever pay any attention to BuzzFeed. I look every once in a while. They live out there in la-la land, there's no question. But you still kind of want to know where they are, right? BuzzFeed closed its news department and has had several tranches of layoffs over the past year. But after offloading a subsidiary in a significant discount, the outlet announced an additional 16% cut to the workforce last week. And by the way, only three years ago, BuzzFeed went public at a whopping $1.5 billion. Billion with a B. Digital media may have won some early battles, but legacy outlets are once again winning the war having once threatened to upend the entire industry and usher in a new era of news distribution and monetization, the former digital media darlings are now merely attempting to survive in any form they can, 
CNN stated, and they continued, their glee is almost palpable. The business model once considered the future of the news, only a few months ago, is now falling apart. It's a testament to just how fickle the industry can be. Here one day, gone the next. So as a privately owned media company, truthnewsnet.org, that includes TNN Live, we're insulated from the worst of all this. We only answer to our readers, not to the caprices of the corporate world. Yet we still got to compete in the market. And it's here where outlets like BuzzFeed and Vice really, they lose it. We try to cover the issues and stories our readers care about without imposing our own agenda. Vice and BuzzFeed seemingly cater exclusively to their own staff's sensibilities. It shouldn't come as a surprise that an outlet that hires the most depraved left-wing freaks it can find and then caters to their own interests, they won't be able to maintain a reader base for long. The same groups that shun or censor conservative news, celebrity influencers, big tech, major corporate marketing and investment firms all had a vested interest in making sure Vice and BuzzFeed work, yet despite their own interest in cultish left-wing trends, there's just no broad market for it anymore. So for once we here find ourselves in agreement with the legacy media. The world is better off without places like BuzzFeed and Vice. Yet their failure offers a glimpse into the uncertain future of all digital media. It's hard to predict how and when, but the media landscape is going to keep changing and we got to be ready for it. Because you know what's going to happen when it has to change? We at Truth News Network, we're going to change with it. And with that, my friends, we're going to bid adieu on this Wednesday. I want to thank you for your constant support of what we do here. We haven't monetized it in any way. And that's because of our trust and belief in God. You have a great day. Make it a really great day. We'll get together tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and we're going to do this one more time. One day at a time. Thank you. Just yesterday morning They let me know you were gone Suzanne, the plans we made put an end to out this morning and I wrote down the song just can't remember who to send me to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days thought they never end I've seen lonely times and could not find a friend But I always thought I'd see you again Won't you look down on me, Jesus? You got
gotta help me to make a stand Just got to see me through another day My body's aching But my time is at hand and I won't make it any other Sunny days, thought they never end. I've seen lonely times, and I could not find a friend. But I always thought I'd see you again. So I've been walking my mind to easy time back turned towards the sun Lord knows the cold wind blows like to turn your head around hours hours of time on the telephone line talking about things to come sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground They never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought I'd see somehow one more time again. Thought I'd see you one more time again. Just a few things that come in my way 